from KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Religion for Life, religionforlife.com. I'm John Shuck. Religion for Life is an educational program about religion. Today, we talk religion, politics, and secularization. In other words, religion essentially became um, a political tool, something that politicians used in order to try to garner votes. And so that's a big shift in how um, religion relates to politics in America. My guest is Joseph Baker. He's the assistant professor in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology at East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee. He's the senior research associate for the Association of Religion Data Archives and the co-author of Paranormal America. He's also the co-author of a new book uh, released in 2015 called American Secularism, Cultural Contours of Non-Religious Belief Systems. We're going to talk about that book today. Uh, Welcome, Joseph, to Religion for Life. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, first of all, congratulations on your new daughter, Eleanor. Uh, She enters the world with the guidance of her older sister, Hazel. (laughs) Joseph and spouse Amy, I know from Johnson City. Yes, uh, Eleanor's doing quite well. Um, so if I lose lucidity here, we'll all know why. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Uh, now, let's talk about your book here, uh, American Secularism. This is the first sentence uh, of your book. There are more individuals who consider themselves non-religious living in the United States than any other nation in the world except China. Uh, now, you're talking uh, raw numbers, uh, not percentage of the population, but nonetheless, this is uh, significant, isn't it? Yes, um, and in fact, we we usually tend to talk about this in terms of percentages, and so uh, we started with that because when you use percentages, we tend to think of America as a very religious country, which is true in many respects, um, but that also obscures the millions of people who uh, live their lives outside of religion or construct meaning uh, through non-religious uh, belief systems, and so we kind of wanted to start with that to, to point out that Thinking of America as a, an exceptionally religious nation um, overlooks a, a large chunk of the population um, who is very diverse and quite interesting. In 1965, a Harvard professor um, Harvey Cox wrote a book called Secular City, and some thought that what he described, that America was becoming more secular, didn't seem to come to fruition, that we became more religious in some respects. Was, was Harvey Cox perhaps ahead of his time? Are we now, 50 years later, becoming more secular? Oh, this is a great, yeah, it's a great question. In my field, for a long time uh, in sociology, secularization theory was kind of the uh, reigning dominant understanding of religion. Harvey Cox, uh, part of that. And uh, people criticized secularization theory by using the United States as an example of a country that was was not becoming more secular, that remained as religious as it ever was. And some people, as you said, uh, argue that it had was even becoming more religious. Um, but in the last 30 years, uh, the United States has started to look closer to uh, some places in Western Europe. It's still more religious uh, per capita or proportionally than a lot of Western European countries. But the United States has kind of come back to uh, look like other post-industrial societies now. So um, I don't think the old secularization theories are 100% correct. I think a lot of them need revision. Uh, But at the same time, it does look like some of those uh, predictions that look like they might be wrong might in the long run turn out to have something to them. Uh, 
Well, now, in your book, you're talking about uh, this increase in secularization or this move towards that. So uh, what's your approach and, and method in this book? Well, we, um, so I'm a sociologist of religion by trade, and we almost question that of religion part and say that if we think of it as only studying religion, then we will miss the people who think of themselves as non-religious. And so essentially what we've done is try to take the same tools that we use to study religion and turn them to study things like atheism or agnosticism or people who are spiritual but not religious, um, any of those types of things. And so we're kind of coming at this from an angle where we want to be empirical. We want to uh, study it from uh, the question of what is. So we're not here to say atheism is right or agnosticism is right or even religion is right. Um, but instead we want to know uh, how many people are doing this and what are the patterns of it and how does it relate to other parts of culture. Yeah, one, one sentence you put here, it seemed to be almost like a thesis. You write that the shift in American secularism is due to the shift in the political meaning of religion. What do you mean by the political meaning of religion? Yeah, so if you look at, there's a great uh, study called the God Strategy that was done by uh, some scholars of communications. And what they did is they looked at presidential rhetoric, that is the rhetoric of the president of the United States, um, and how they talked about religion, how they invoked God, uh, when they did it, and how they did it. And basically what they found is um, from the 1930s until the 1970s, um, invoking God was a fairly, let's say, nonpartisan affair. It wasn't used in a way to try to divide up the electorate. Um, so, for instance, I'm a survey researcher. In the 1950s, if I knew your religion, or lack thereof, it told me very little about how you would ultimately vote in, say, um, a national or local election. But now, uh, in contemporary times, um, religion and religious characteristics are second only to race in terms of their uh, predictive power for how people will vote or how they think of themselves politically. So beginning in the 1980s, um, especially uh, Ronald Reagan sort of uh, pioneered this strategy uh, taking religion and trying to consolidate people who were re religious and conservatively religious and use them as a voting block. And so this was a, a, a successful strategy to turn the South, which hadn't voted Republican in 100 years, mm -hmm. um, to now switching over into what we would call, quote-unquote, red states. And so, in other words, religion essentially became um, a political tool, something that politicians used in order to try to garner votes. And so... That's a big shift in how um, religion relates to politics in America. So we kind of talk about, uh, and in your book, you mentioned the religious right versus the secular left. And yes. The best survey that's tracked this over time, the General Social Survey, has asked uh, religious affiliation since the 1970s and also asked political uh, identity. Do you think of yourself as a conservative, a moderate, or a liberal? And in large part, the people who have moved out of religion, that is, the people who have now said, if you ask them, what's your religion? They say, no religion. The people who say that have increasingly over time, it's been more and more political liberals. So you can actually track this over time and see that um, larger shares of the people who say they have no religion are liberals, and more of the people who think of themselves as politically liberal over time become secular. And so these things 
go together and they, they sort of map onto this movement of the religious right quite well. One of the reasons um, that I find many people kind of disassociating from religion is because of uh, issues regarding sexuality that the church is considered to be anti-gay. Is that one of the reasons, too, that's driving um, secularism? Definitely. And if you look at younger generations of Americans who are much more open to the idea of same-sex unions or same-sex couples, um, and they also have much higher rates of disaffiliation of saying they have no religion. And so the two primary areas where religion has essentially been used as a political strategy, the topics have been uh, homosexuality and abortion. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, the religious right has essentially kind of made political hay out of uh, sexuality and gender. And so in a sense, people who don't share those conservative views of sexuality and gender have a harder time finding uh, a religious home or feeling like that uh, they can be religious and also be liberal on those issues too. Um, and so I think that is a big part of how the political aspect of this has led to more people disaffiliating. My guest on Religion for Life is Joseph Baker. He's a professor of sociology at East Tennessee State University and the author of American Secularism, Cultural Contours of Non-Religious Belief Systems. The definition of religion seems to be fluid and hard to get a hold of. Uh, you describe a couple of ways of defining religion, substantive and functional. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, sure. So this is an old debate in my field um, and one that is can't be fully resolved because in the end, definitions are social constructions. So uh, they can be more or less useful, but they can't be fully right or wrong necessarily. Uh, but the substantive said that religion was about belief in the supernatural and that it's essentially, say, like a definition, a substantive definition of religion would be it's about say, terms of exchange with the supernatural or having a relationship with uh, supernatural entities such as gods or a higher, like a full sort of high god. Mm -hmm. um, now, the functional definition essentially says that religion is that which gives ultimate meaning in life. Now, so this could include forms that are uh, forms of religion that are non-supernatural. So some forms of, say, Buddhism may fit this, where... Um, the supernatural is downplayed, uh, and it's more this worldly understanding of religion. Uh, there's problems with both of these, of course, which is that if we use the substantive version, we essentially rule out anybody who um, is non-theist from being religious, and we know there are lots of different ways people may be religious and non-theist. Mm -hmm. um, if we take the functional route, then we are forced to essentially say, well, atheism is religion, which may be true in some vague sense, but I think it's more misleading than anything. Um, if we take that version, essentially, we could also say like Green Bay Packers fans are a religion because it gives them ultimate meaning. Um, and so the functional is useful and it sort of allows us to look for religion in different places, but it also forces us to shoehorn anything that gives ultimate meaning into the religion box. Um, and so uh, each of them have their sort of uh, benefits and downsides, but that for a long time has been the, the debate about what counts as religion. Is it the supernatural um, or is it something about ultimate meaning that uh, in the end is what religion is about? 
Well, yeah, uh, kind of going on that, you, you write, um, no cognizant human can escape belief. And, and now some atheists might, might take issue with that. Uh, often they're uh, defined uh, by uh, religious people as having beliefs. And, and they say, no, we don't believe in gods. We evaluate reality based on science or reason, on fact, and not faith or belief. Uh, so help me unpack that. What, what is non-religious belief? In the end, I think that even people who are disbelievers still are asserting a form of belief. So if I say that God does not exist, then I'm still essentially asserting a belief position. I'm essentially saying that I believe God does not exist because it cannot be definitively proven that God does not exist, just like it cannot be definitively pr proven that God does exist. Uh, certainly lots of people throughout history have tried on both of these sides. Um, but in the end, you must sort of cast your lot somewhere with belief, be that in a, a form that says, I don't believe in this form of, re of religion or this form of the supernatural, or one that says I do. Uh, but in the end, it's still belief, and it is still constructed in what we would call interpretive communities. Um, so even people who say they are disbelieving in something still are asserting a positive form of belief. Um, now, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, I know, like you, like you said, there are lots of um, non-theists who might um, disagree with this and say, oh, but indeed, uh, science can show that God does not exist. But that assumes a very specific conception of God. Uh, if we allow for wider conceptions of God, there's no way to prove that it doesn't exist. And so, in the end, we all must believe something even if we're choosing to disbelieve in a certain type of God or other people's gods or a certain type of religion. So um, we all have to believe something in the end is kind of our argument. Yeah, and you say, uh, use the phrase cosmic belief systems, that we kind of have some kind of understanding of how the universe works. Yeah, and this is our effort to take what's good about the functional definition of religion uh -huh. and expand it so that we don't have to shoehorn these other forms of ultimate meaning through the religious category. So that allows us to say that, uh, say, agnosticism uh, is an important uh, belief about the world that essentially says that, um, you know, whether God exists or not is beyond empirical uh, proof. And so this allows us to look at agnosticism or atheism or something like that in a way that gives it uh, an equal standing with religion. Uh, and you, you mentioned uh, I've also done work uh, on the paranormal. It would also allow us to look at people whose ultimate meaning comes through um, what we would call non-institutionalized forms of supernaturalism. And so this would essentially let us expand the field of how we would study religion into uh, non-institutional supernaturalism, but also forms that are um, non-supernatural in general. And so it's kind of like taking the functional definition of religion and broadening it so that we don't have to classify everything that gives ultimate meaning as religion. Yeah, that last category uh, might be the f folks who call themselves spiritual and not religious. Indeed, and that's the biggest um, portion of the people who are saying no religion. If we look at this, no if I say, what's your religion? And, uh, and people say none, or I have no religion. We find that a majority of those people still say that they believe in some form of theism or some form of higher power. 
um, and they're likely to think of themselves as quote-unquote spiritual but not religious. And even in this, you can see people's effort to distance themselves from the category of religion while maintaining this idea of a privatized spirituality. And in the U.S., that's been the biggest uh, portion of this rise of people who say no religion has actually been this, we call them non-affiliated believers. Um, and again, we don't mean to say by that that atheists and agnostics are not believers of some sort. They are. Uh, but just the idea that um, these are people who say in terms of organized religion, I don't affiliate with any of it, yet I also maintain some form of belief in a higher power um, or even sometimes sort of traditional conceptions of God. I want to turn back to politics again for a second and the relationship between politics and ethnicity and uh, religiosity or, or secularism. Does religiosity increase then with more political and ethnic trouble? Uh, for the most part, yes. Um, and you can see this globally. That is, the places where you find, um, if you look at something like uh, Human Development Index or something like that, the places that are lower on those scales are more religious. And so some people have called this an issue of existential security. That is, where life hangs in the balance. People are more likely to be religious. In contrast, where uh, life is more secure, say in locations where people have access to um, ample resources, and healthcare and things like that, those places are more likely to have higher proportions of their population who are not religious, who say they're not religious. Um, in terms of ethnicity in the United States, there's a there are distinctive and interesting patterns um, with secularity. Um, white Americans tend to be uh, the most secular, and you can also say they tend to also do better in terms of socioeconomic status. Um, a group that is similar to that, uh, Asian Americans also do well in terms of socioeconomic status on the whole. In effect, they start to look like white Americans in terms of ethnicity. And again, Asian Americans, if we're just looking globally at socioeconomic status, do well. They, they look similar to white Americans and in some cases do better. Um, but there's an interesting pattern that follows immigration where they have non Christian forms of religion in the first generation. The second generation is essentially caught between American culture and the religion of their parents, and they, they're more likely to say they have no religion. And third and later generations actually essentially adopt Protestantism at high rates. Um, so that's an interesting one. Um, the lowest rates of secularity that we find are among African Americans, especially with atheism and agnosticism. Now that's not to say there aren't um, black atheists or black agnostics. There certainly are, and there have been people who've written um, good works about black humanism. But at the same time, um, the rates of non-theism and even saying you have no religion are extremely low uh, among African Americans, and that's because in the history of the U.S., um, the centrality of the black church in terms of community organizing for African Americans has meant that to opt out of religion would essentially be to, in a lot of cases, opt out of um, the central form of community. Uh, and another part of that is that um, theism remains sort of code for being moral. Mm -hmm. And so we conceive of, or culturally it's coded that non-theism is immoral. Um, and the devaluation 
of African Americans, if you think about Black Lives Matter now as the contemporary expression of this, to say that there's moral worth in the African American community. But in sort of the history of the U.S., to say you were non-theist and also be African American would be to sort would essentially to be doubly um, condemned. And mm. so there's a, an extremely high penalty for opting out of theism and religion um, among African Americans. Yeah, the civil religion, right, is God and country. So, and, and, and the idea that an atheist was not even patriotic. Oh, well, absolutely. And you can see that, you know, very prominently in things like the McCarthy hearings and, mm-hmm. you know, in sort of the history of the U.S. But that remains today. If you ask people, uh, we, you know, start the book with this question, the survey asks, who doesn't share your vision of America? Um, and atheists remain extremely disliked, and people say that they would not want their child to marry an atheist. Um, and it used to be that that was the most disliked category. Now um, Muslims are essentially at the same level uh, as atheists, and so Muslims and atheists are disliked at about the same level now. But still, this idea that theism is moral and that um, to be a true patriot or a true American means to be religious um, remains kind of the the default position. And so to opt out of that is to have a, a, a steep hill to climb in order to, to prove your um, citizenship and to prove your moral worth. You know, it's kind of interesting. I have a colleague uh, named Greta Vosper in the United Church of Canada, an atheist minister, and she uses the word atheist particularly because of the negative attitudes uh, towards atheists, that there's a sense of um, wanting to reclaim the term or or help out. So do you find still, do you find also a trend for more acceptance of of the word atheist and for atheists? Um, Not, it's not a whole lot. Um, Uh. I think there's more now than there used to be. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it still remains extremely disliked. And essentially what you're talking about is there's a move within um, the secular community of what you might think of as identity politics for atheism. Right. Um, to essentially try to reclaim the label and say that you can be, go- be good without God and things like that. Um, and the reason for that is because it, it is so, the term is so disliked. Um, but it, that still remains the case. And I'll give you kind of a, um, a nerdy social science example. If I ask people, you know, what's your religion and we give them atheist as a category, it will get selected a lot less than if I ask people, do you believe in God and say, and give the option of, I don't believe in God. People don't like the label because they associate it with these negative things. Um, and so people like Greta Vosper and uh, others are trying to reclaim that through kind of an identity politics movement. Um, and again, the reason is just because it is it remains sort of the most disliked of the different ideas about non-religion. My guest is Joseph Baker, a professor in sociology at East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, the author of American Secularism, Cultural Contours of Non-Religious Belief Systems. This is a fascinating book, and it covers up so much. I want to talk more with you, but I've only got a little bit of time left, and so I want to ask you to look in your crystal ball. What trends can we expect with religion and secularity in the United States? Uh, More polarization, perhaps, between the religious right and the secular left? Well, that does seem to be the way things are trending. Um, We refer to the period from the late 1980s to the present as the great abdicating, essentially meaning that more people were dropping out of organized religion, and this maps 
almost perfectly with increased political polarization uh, among the electorate, the American public, and also among, say, Congress. Um, and it does seem to be that um, there is more of that in store. It, it does seem to be the way things are trending. Um, now, we, we also note that in terms of levels in the population, seculars run a demographic disadvantage. They tend to have fewer children. Um, and so uh, traditional religions have a demographic advantage. Uh, each generation, they sort of have more children and socialize them into their belief systems. And so it will be hard for secularity to gain a full majority just because of this demographic disadvantage. But at the same time, uh, it's been trending toward pe more people saying no religion um, for the last 25 years, and right now it seems to be continuing that way. There's something of a ceiling on how high a proportion of the population uh, that can that can happen to because of that demographic disadvantage, with one exception, and that is if the what we call the apostasy rate continues to rise, and that is people who are socialized into religion dropping out. And that has been going up dramatically over this period. So if the apostasy rate continues to rise, then secularity could gain a bigger share of the population. Um, but I would say in the near future, we would expect there to be um, more seculars and that that would continue with sort of political polarization. Now, if the sort of the religious right begins to dissolve or people begin to back off of the idea of using religion as a political tool, then we might see that begin to level off. But at present, it seems to sort of be continuing in the same way it has been going. You know, in regards to uh, institutional religion, uh, those of us in the business, uh, from a marketing perspective, might be wise uh, for liberal churches to uh, be more open to secular individuals. In fact, you, you mentioned that most mainline denominations are in decline, but the Unitarian Universalists are, are on the rise. Uh, uh, what's that dynamic about? Yeah, and the the UUs are a, a really interesting example. Um, and two of the people that we interview, as in terms of biographical narratives in the book, um, think of themselves as non-theists, uh, but also either currently or at times in the past have attended UU churches. Um, and so the Unitarian Universalists essentially say quite openly that non-theists are welcome here, mm -hmm. uh, and. Now, the, the UU is an interesting example because it tends to be um, almost wholly a church of converts. That is, there are um, more people who find the UU church than were raised in the UU church. So people who, um, say, are reacting against this uh, religious right but don't want to give up. Um, they think of themselves as politically liberal, but they don't want to give up the pursuit of spirituality or questions of spirituality, can find a home in the UU church, and non-theists can also find a spiritual home in UU churches. Um, and so it's it might be a strategy for um, liberal churches to expand. Of course, it raises all kinds of questions of, uh, as with the case of Greta Bosper, right, is what counts as orthodoxy, and it raises all these issues um, about um, what should count as sort of the, um, the correct belief in order to be a part of the church. Um, but while mainline churches have been declining, the UUs have had, um, it's modest, but it's growth nonetheless. Um, and so I think it might be something that um, liberal churches uh, might emulate. Yeah, it kind of sounds like a, a trend toward um, a practice of more functional religion rather than the traditional substantial or substantive religion of supernatural belief. Right, and I think you, this can be done 
just with an openness. It doesn't yeah. have to, it's not to say that churches, you know, would start to say we're the church of non-theism, but like the UUs, you might allow people more latitude mm-hmm. um, in what types of beliefs they can hold and still be considered members of good standing. Now, as a sociologist of religion, religion, I have to point out that organizationally, that comes with cost, which is it's a little harder to herd people who don't all share the same ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, ideological consensus makes for a tighter unit. Uh, and so without that, you have to find some ways of organizing the community so that it remains cohesive. So I think that's a challenge. Um, to sort of theological diversity in a congregation. I, it can be done, but I think it has to be sort of consciously um, addressed. A fascinating book uh, by Joseph Baker, professor of sociology at East Tennessee State University. The book is called American Secularism, Cultural Contours of Non-Religious Belief Systems. Joseph, thank you uh, so much for this book and for talking about it with me today. Absolutely. Great to talk with you, John. This is Religion for Life, religionforlife.com. I'm John Schock. Podcasts are uploaded every Sunday morning at 11 Pacific time. Subscribe to podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, Podomatic, and the website religionforlife.com. Religion for Life is heard on the following stations. WETS, Johnson City, Tennessee. WEHC, Emory, Virginia. WPVM, Asheville, North Carolina. And produced at KBOO Portland. Be well.